just a little painting I've been working on the last uh, month or so. Let's give it up for Matt over here. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we basically started off at the beginning of our sermon series with a, a painting of kind of God's creation as he intended it to be perfect and, and unmarred by the sin and brokenness of this world. And then each week we've been coming and, and darkening it uh, with our sin a little bit at a time until the fact this morning that we came in and it was completely covered in darkness, kind of representing humanity at the time that Jesus went to the cross. And um, so now as the, the resurrection reality happens, we peel back and, and we see um, the truth of who Christ is and what hope that he provides that one day um, he'll come again and restore um, all the world and all humanity to its original glory. So thank you for that. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I love a good story. I, I crave um, entering into uh, stories in this uh, opportunity to do one of a couple things, maybe sometimes to escape from uh, either the mundaneness of everyday life or the messiness of the broken world that we live in. And we have a lot of options to do that, don't we? I mean, Americans spend billions of dollars a year at the movie theater, um, at the Broadway shows, or more commonly just on their TV or streaming shows onto their phones or onto their laptops. Um, some people like me read these archaic things called books. You may have heard of these. Um, yeah, th that's kind of my favorite way of escaping. And today, as we all know, is Easter. And the empty tomb is by far the most compelling story ever told, the most significant event in the history of the world. For through this one story, the eternity of every single human that's ever been created is determined either to eternal life or eternal death. No other story holds that kind of power in its hands. It's why almost 2,000 years later, this story continues to be told and celebrated around the world because news like this never gets old. Today, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. You can open it on your phone app if you have that. It's page 1066 in your pew Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians 2. We're going to look at the first seven verses today. And it's really a tale of two stories. Uh, the first part of the story is contained in verses 1 through 3. The second part of the story is verses 4 through 7. So let's look at 1 through 3. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So every single person that's ever been created, including every one of us here today, shares a similar story. Our childhood circumstances might have been vastly different from one another, but our spiritual story was all the same. Because you see, we all share some common ancestors. Our first mother and father was Adam and Eve. And 
they made some decisions in the Garden of Eden, specifically to disobey God and to kind of want to do it their way. And that decision had eternal consequences for each one of us. So as a result, every human since then has been born separated from God because of this sin disease that we can't cure on our own. Now, the symptoms of the sin disease might look different from person to person. Some of us display our brokenness with pride, some of us with selfishness, some of us with apathy or greed or jealousy or lust, or if you're like me, probably a big conglomeration of all of those things. As we get older, it may morph into specific things like addictions, unhealthy relationships, or abuse. The Bible says that we were all born enemies of God. And Paul says it best in verse 3 here today, because my driving impulse prior to giving my life to Christ was exactly what he said. I, he said this, I'm sorry. Prior to giving my life to Christ, this is what he says in verse 3, to gratify the cravings of my flesh following its desires and thoughts. So prior to Christ, I was on the throne of my life. I was calling the shots. I was grasping for control to try to orchestrate my life in a way to get the things from life, from the people around me that I thought that I needed in order to be happy. Things that I thought the world kind of owed me. Sound familiar? It should because it's your story too. And because of this reality, we were all spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins enveloped in darkness to the point where we probably didn't even realize and we couldn't see ourselves for who we were. And Paul is right. The unfortunate but honest truth is this, that because of our rebellious hearts, we were all deserving of wrath. In another one of his letters in the book of Romans 6.23, he said, the wages of our sin is death. So in order for the good news, the resurrection, Easter, The reason why we're here this morning to elicit any really truly joyful emotion in us today, we have to come to terms with that reality, that our sin, my sin, put Christ on the cross. My sin demanded that level of sacrifice to be washed away. A perfect, spotless, sinless man had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is to satisfy the justice of a holy God. So all of us share that common story of verses 1 through 3. Some of us share the story of verses 4 through 7. It's open to all of us, but we have to opt in to this part of the story. So I want you to take a look at verse 4. It says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Well, after you've done something wrong, if you're currently a young person or when you were a kid, (laughs) did your parents ever tell you, I should punish you right now, but I'm not going to? 
And you didn't even really care about the explanation after that. You just heard the, I'm not going to, right? And those, those three little letters there, B-U-T, were like the sweetest letters you've ever heard. But <laughs> they're so beautiful in that moment. And it's beautiful here as well because our sin deserved wrath. But instead, God offered us something that we didn't deserve. And as a 16-year-old high school junior... This is a story that I chose to embrace, to opt into, that despite my rebellion, despite my pursuit of self-gratification, that God, for whatever reason, his love was pursuing me. Hebrews 12.2 describes it like this. It says, for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy before Jesus as he headed to the cross, as he made his way there, and the pain that he knew what he was going to endure? It was the hope that some of his children, through his death, could pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, that they would know what it meant to be loved, to be forgiven, to be free from the chains and the slavery of sin, to be chosen, to know hope, peace, joy, and contentment, the life that is truly life. That's what he was hoping for. And by Jesus' death and resurrection, he made a way for us to come home. He made a way for us to come alive when we were dead. By his grace, we are saved. And that means that we didn't deserve it. We deserved wrath, but we received forgiveness. That's mercy. Psalm 103.10 says this, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God, right? Paul in Romans 5, he says this. He says, while we were still sinners, right when we were in the midst of our brokenness and mess, before we'd done anything to move towards God, God ran towards us. And when we humbly receive that grace and surrender our life, to God, exchanging our will for his. Here's the amazing truth made possible by his resurrection. In John, Jesus is talking to a, a, a young friend of his who's lost her brother. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Back in Ephesians 2.6, Paul said this, God raised us up, just like he did with Jesus. And then God pulled up a chair next to Christ in heaven, and it has our name on it. My son, Zach, when he was growing up, had a little chair, a little rocking chair named Zachary written on it, right? Can you picture the scene of of arriving in heaven and God, we walk into this throne room or whatever it's going to look like, and Jesus is sitting there, and there's a seat next to Jesus with our name on it. And mine will say Bob, and I'm sure it might be a little confusing because there's going to be 10 million thousand hundred Bobs there. But I'm pretty sure mine's going to have a drink holder and a McAllister's tea waiting for me, (laughs) except it just never runs out. You know, you keep drinking, and it magically keeps getting filled and filled, and it's, it's heaven, it's paradise forever, right? 
But God will look at us and he says, come, take a seat where you belong. You are my chosen one. You are my son, my daughter, and I love you. When we begin a relationship with God, not only does his Holy Spirit take up residence in our hearts and we become a new creation, but on a spiritual level, our soul has already been seated with Christ in heaven. I know this is mind-blowing, folks, okay? But for God, who is eternal, all of time is laid out before him. He sees everything. So he already sees us in our glorified state. If we've made a commitment to Christ and we're in relationship with God, he already sees us in heaven right now, seated next to Christ. That's how he views us. That's why he doesn't count our sins against us because he sees us as completely forgiven and spotless. It's already done. No longer enemies. He sees us as friends. And I don't know about you, but that all is a little bit much to take in. Because I look at just kind of ordinary me and I know all the flaws and junk that swirls around in my mind and I think, how can he see me as extraordinary, as spotless, as blameless, as worthy of a, of a seat in his kingdom? Paul put it best in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. As the song goes, right, we can only imagine what that's going to be like. Verse 7 says that God seats us next to Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Guys, when we get to heaven, it's going to be quite a show. As one uh, undeserved wave of goodness and love just washes over us again, and again, and again, and again. And doesn't it make you wonder why? Why? Though we were born enemies of God and deserve death, does he keep coming after us? Why? And on Sunday mornings, we gather each week, and we take about an hour and 15 minutes to try to remind ourselves, try to reorient us to the true story. To cut away the lies of the narratives that we've allowed the world to fill us with all week and remind us of how desperately we need Jesus, how far he went to save us, taking our beatings, enduring our cross, dying our death, and rising from the dead so that we might rise too, to give us hope, to make a way for us to be at peace with the holy God and to live into our true identity. I pray that you are opting, choosing to opt into the second part of that story because the first part of the story ends in death and it ends in eternal separation from the Father and there are a lot of people on that path, mostly out of pride, too humble to admit that they need a Lord and Savior in their life. For those of us who have chosen to surrender to his grace and goodness, there ought to be joy at this great news. The disciple Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Guys, this life is but a breath. Believe me, the older I get, the faster it goes. (laughs) And then we'll be seated with him in glory forever, or we won't. What story will your life tell? Guys, I'm begging you to not leave here today if you don't know the love and the grace that could be yours in Christ, made possible by his resurrection from the dead so that you might rise as well. If you haven't been here, even if you have, the last uh, few weeks we've been taking a look at the stories, the parables that Jesus gave in the last week of his life kind of the last desperate, urgent messages that he wanted to pass on to his followers. And we've been looking at three, the last three weeks in Matthew 25, that happened on Wednesday, two days before he's going to be crucified. And last week we talked about that the the sin and the the crime of each person, some of the people in each of the stories that we looked at, was this. It was indifference. Guys, when we take a look at the magnitude of what God did for us and what he gave up, his son dying on the cross for us, conquering death and rising from the grave, we can be a lot of things about that news, but this is what we can't be, is we can't be indifferent. You can imagine what that would feel like to a father who sacrificed his son and then for people to be like, eh, whatever. I mean, that's just a huge smack in the face to the love and the pursuit of God for your heart, right? And so we have really two options, either to opt in to that story and to surrender our lives and be all in and and then receive the amazing blessings that come along with that, or to opt out and reject it and just say, no, I I don't buy that. I don't believe it. And there are consequences for each one of those choices. Today, in a few moments, we're actually going to get to meet some folks that are going to be baptized that have chosen to opt in, that have chosen to say, man, I believe it. (laughs) Um, I know my need. I see it. I believe what Christ did for me on the cross. I believe he rose again and offers me life, and I want to take it. And so we're going to get to meet those folks here in a minute. I'm excited about that. Um, First, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song, and then we'll get things set up for baptism. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. God, we're blown away by what you offer us. God, because of our sin, our selfishness, our desire to to be in control, God, we deserved wrath. Our hearts were far from you. Our our hearts were turned from you. We had a heart of, of stone, God, that was indifferent to the love that you lavished on us. And so God, I thank you that you pursued me. You pursued each one of us, wherever dark hole or pit that we had gotten ourselves in, or maybe we'd fooled ourselves in thinking that our good behavior had done enough to earn your love. Whatever the case might have been, God, you you came and you broke through and kind of cut away the lies. And you confronted us with the truth of your love for us and our need for you. So God, I thank you so much for that. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. 
the power of your resurrection, the fact that you come and live inside of us, that same power that rose from the grave is in me, helping me, empowering me to live the life that you've called me to. I pray if there's anybody in here today that doesn't know you, God, that they wouldn't walk out the door without coming and talking to me or someone they know that knows you and figuring out what side of the fence they're on with this, God, because there really is no middle ground. There is no indifference towards your love. So, Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.